From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hi, and welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Congratulations, you have found us. Come on in, dust yourself off, and warm yourself by the electronic bonfire. Uh, Coming up uh, this week on The Conspiracy Television Program, are possible cures for cancer being suppressed? Dr. John Apsley, who was on this program last week talking about Ebola, is uh, featured in this episode. Uh, so be sure to tune in. That's the Conspiracy Show, the TV program, Monday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern across Canada. And don't forget, after the show, log on to our new interactive website, theconspiracyshow.com. This was put together by award-winning web uh, site designers. TheConspiracyShow.com, and you can, it's, as I say, highly interactive. You can participate in the debate, discuss, you can even register your vote uh, as to whether you subscribe to a particular a theory or not. Uh, and the TV show, incidentally, has just been sold in Australia. So we're very excited about that. And, of course, it's now airing in over 100 markets in syndication in the United States. And uh, don't forget my all-day conference, Follow the Truth. One of our featured speakers, Jim Penniston, Witness to the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident will be on the program next week just to give us a a sneak preview of his, uh, well, explosive uh, presentation. Follow the Truth, Sunday, November 16th at the Regent Theatre in Oshawa. For tickets, call 905-721-3399. And for more details, visit followthetruth.tv. There is a very tall, very courageous man in studio, and he's earned the title Honorable uh, before his name. He was a heartbeat away from being Prime Minister of this country at one time. He served as his country's Minister of Defense under Prime Minister Lester Pearson. And back in 2005, he sent shockwaves through the UFO disclosure community when he became the first person of cabinet rank in the G8 group of countries, to state unequivocally, UFOs are as real as the airplanes flying overhead. He is the author of several books, including Light at the End of the Tunnel, A Survival Plan for the Human Species, The Evil Empire, Globalization's Darker Side, and his latest, The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis, the Honorable Paul Hellyer. Thanks for being here. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And you're looking very well. Yes, sir. Doing just fine for a young fellow. And may I say, you're, you are, have you reached 90? Are you, you're approaching 90? I'm 91 now. 91? Yes. My word, you are just an incredibly fit uh, looking individual. I'm very blessed. I know it. Well, we want you to stay uh, as long as you can because you've got many more books, I'm sure, to write. Uh, Victor Vigiani. Uh, is uh, seated to his left. And Victor, of course, no stranger to this program. He's a, uh, a frequent guest and a, uh, an occasional guest host on the program. And he was, well, uh, instrumental, really, I think. In, wouldn't you agree, Paul, in, in, in facilitating at least your coming out party and, and, and bringing you, uh, you know, before the public in 2005? To... Without him, I wouldn't be here. There you are. So, Victor, how are you, my friend? Well, yes, I'm just fine. <laughs> Just fine, yes. It's uh, it goes back to 2005, I guess, eh, Paul, when right. when it all happened, and 
the story behind it is a very interesting one, perhaps at uh, some point uh, later on, either in the show or at some future point, we could discuss exactly how the dynamics of that all worked. But it, it was a very interesting scenario as to how we... Uh, how he brought Paul into the into the limelight on this issue, and, and no doubt during this conversation, the, the subject of UFOs, ETs will will pop up because there is a convergence here with what we're talking about. The, you know, this new book is about you know the money mafia and our money system, uh, and and how it has enslaved us all, and how we can get out from under this. Uh, but obviously, uh, that uh, also dovetails in with things like exotic energy, disruptive technologies like zero-point energy, uh, which, again, connected to the international banking system. Where does the zero-point energy come from? Uh, and, and, and obviously, that gets us into to discussions about ETs and UFOs. This exactly. is an all-encompassing book. There are three uh, major issues in the world. Uh, the, the subtitle, as you know, is A World in Crisis. And the, uh, the most urgent issue is uh, solving the banking situation and getting the world working again. Uh, the most important issue is global warming. And the third issue on the, uh, on the list is the ET uh, presence and technology. And they're all interrelated. It's all part of the same uh, kettle of fish, as we say. Well, the, 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 the numbers uh, coming out of, of, of Europe are not good. It looks like they're heading into another recession. I mean, one could argue they were, we, we never really recovered from the last one. They just papered it over uh, with, you know, the QE and so forth. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? We've never gotten out of the last recession. This is a great recession. And the problem is, <clears throat> to put it bluntly, unless we change the system dramatically and fundamentally, we're not going to get out because there's no way. How can you borrow your way out of a recession? And with the present system, believe it or not, uh, 97% of all the money created is created by privately owned banks owned by the wealthiest people in the world, and it's all created as debt. It's virtual money. It's really credit uh, paid that's produced by the uh, by the private debt by the private banks, and no one produ- creates any money with which to pay the interest on that money. So if you if all of the money that's created is debt, and no one creates any money with which to pay the debt, what do you do? Well, you have to borrow more and more and go deeper and deeper into debt all the time, and there is no mathematical way out of it. We can't possibly pay off even a small slice of world debt because there's no way that it can be done. So the system has to be changed fundamentally, dramatically, and we have to get governments who own the patent to start creating some of the money. And uh, I know it works because I've seen it work in Canada. We had it, uh, that system from 1939 to 1974, and it worked beautifully. That changed while you were in, in Trudeau's cabinet in, in 74. Well, actually, I wasn't in his cabinet. You weren't in his cabinet. No, then. I was out by then. And, and a lot of bad things started happening in 74. Plus, that was my last year in House of Commons. But from 39 to 70, 74, we had this system where the money creation function was shared between the government of Canada and the private banks. And it worked beautifully. In 1938, there were no jobs in Canada. None. In 1939, the war came along, and it wasn't long before everybody was either in the armed forces or building factories or, build, or making munitions. 
And uh, we went down to a historic low unemployment of 1%, would you believe? And uh, this, this system worked absolutely beautifully getting us out of the depression which i remember well as a as a young man you you're talking about the formation of the of the bank of canada and and its and its stated purpose which was to to lend money to not only the federal government but provincial governments municipal governments essentially not at zero interest but very very low interest correct Practi- practically near zero yeah well it, it had been created before but it really never did anything well not a lot until 1939, and then it really came to bat for the people of Canada and helped us get out of the Depression, finance the war, and then later to finance the post-war projects, the St. Lawrence Seaway, the Trans-Canada Highway, the great new air terminals, and also to lay the foundation for our extraordinary uh, Social Security system. And all of that was possible with virtually no debt. Well, then in 1974, the, uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada, without discussing it with the prime minister or, or advising him as to what was going to happen, changed the system and stopped lending money to the government at zero interest or near zero interest and started taking its orders for the, from the Bank for, of International Settlements in Zurich, Switzerland, and in effect sold out to the money mafia which is running the world and running our country as well as uh, as the rest of the world. The Honorable Paul Hellyer, Canada's former Minister of Defense, uh, former Deputy Prime Minister, uh, is with us. And his new book is The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis. Victor Vigiani from uh, Zealand News Network as well. Uh, Victor, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, part? I just wanted to, to bring out the point that you were just making, Paul, regarding uh, in 1974 when things began to change and when, uh, when Gerald K. Bowie made a decision to alter the system that had been working so well for so long. Where did he get his marching orders from? You said it didn't come from cabinet, didn't come from the prime minister. Where did he get his marching orders from? It was the Bank for International Settlements. They decided that uh, all of the central banks should get together, form a club, and all march to the same drummer. Weren't there a lot of former Nazis on the the international uh, the, the Bank the, of International the, Settlements? The BIS had very close connections to the Nazis, both in the 1930s and, would you believe, during the war. And a little bit of it, I think, uh, sort of uh, hung on after the war. It has a very questionable background, and it was supposed to have been wound up after the war, and a lot of people wanted it wound up. But they have some friends in high places, and you know that friends in high places can be very helpful in a crisis. And so they managed not only to survive and figure out a way to make a lot of money themselves, but to, uh, in effect, run the international banking system on behalf of the owners of the biggest banks in the world. And that's what they've been doing ever since 1974, and that's what they're doing now. And as long as they're doing that, there is no hope for the world, period. What has happened to, uh, for example, the federal debt in Canada since 1974, and that decision was made to change the role of the Bank of Canada? Not to change the role, but to basically ignore the Bank of Canada. Well, what happened was the, the uh, Bank of Canada adopted monetarism, which was basically unregulated banks a deregulation of the banks. And uh, 
at the same time accepted a dictum from the Bank of, uh, for International Settlements not to lend money to governments at low interest rates. And this applied across the board. And uh, as a result of that, also uh, to, um, to try and control uh, inflation by tight money, by monetary means. And so Jerry Bowie followed the steps of uh, Paul Volcker in the United States in 1981-82. Uh, Volcker raised interest rates in the United States to 18%. In Canada, Jerry Bowie went to 22, would you believe? And uh, you can imagine some of the poor people trying to refinance their uh, their mortgages at 22%, which... Uh, I remember. That was that was horrible for, yeah, for people. It absolutely. Was, listen, we'll take a time out. Uh, uh, Paul Hellyer, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, Victor Vigiani, the new book, The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis, Controversial, Explosive, A Must Read. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Don't forget, you can listen to the live stream. Uh, let's say, for example, you're outside of our listening area or you're unable to listen in on one of our uh, lists of about 30 U.S. affiliates and growing. Uh, check out the, uh, the live web stream at zoomerradio.ca, anywhere in the world. All right, we are back with the Honorable Paul Hellyer. His new book is called The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis, and our good friend Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zealand News Network, here as well. So uh, we're talking about uh, the problem with money in the current uh, money system. Uh, once the the role of the Bank of Canada was uh, sort of pushed to the side and we could no longer, all levels of government could borrow from uh, from that uh, and we had we were forced to borrow from you know the Royal Bank and the Bank of Nova Scotia and so forth and international lenders what happened to the federal debt? Well, as a result of the uh, two recessions that the international banking system deliberately brought on, 81-82 that we mentioned with the high interest rates put millions of people out of work, out of their homes, bankrupt their businesses, and uh, that put us in deficit. Deficits rolled over into debt, happened again in 1991, and the great Canadian slump at that time, and we accumulated enough debt that from 1974 until 2011, we, we had to pay $1 trillion, $100 billion in interest that was not necessary, that could have been avoided. What could we have done with that money? Well, think of it, the infrastructure. Yeah, fantastic. You know, we're in Toronto, we're just going through a, an election where the main issue is public transportation. And they're only looking for a fair amount of money when you think of that kind of money. They could have paid all the bills with... Uh, with money that was made available if we had spent it on infrastructure and uh, and other things that were necessary instead of spending it on interest to pay the money lenders. And what percentage of our current federal debt, which is around $600 billion, I guess, uh, what percentage of that is compound interest? All of it. Almost all of it. I think it started $14 billion was for, uh, for programs, 
and all of the rest is compound interest on the uh, deficits and debt that we've incurred since. You know, there's a there's a, an interesting YouTube video. I'm sure you're familiar with this 12-year-old girl, Victoria Grant, and yeah. she's standing there, a 12-year-old, and she has such a grasp of what's wrong with the system and why can't we see it if a 12-year-old can see it. She's absolutely why, fantastic. Why can't the politicians wake up? If you even ask most politicians, they come to the door canvassing, and you ask them, do you know where money comes from? They don't have a clue. Absolutely That's not. the problem. Absolutely not. But worse, they don't seem to be interested in finding out. They don't be interested, seem to be interested in learning. And they have to learn because they've got us into a position now where we're spending so much of our income on paying the interest that there isn't enough left for all of the other things, the, the Social Security requirements and the, and the arts and the, and the infrastructure in particular and so on. And they've, they've got to learn because if they don't, the country is never going to get out of the slump. Now, another contributing factor is that the money mafia has been using, the same, kind of the same people have been using trade agreements to take away power from the people. So we signed first the North American trade, the Canada-U.S. trade agreement, then the North American free trade agreement, and we uh, were put in a situation where if we decided, for example, we didn't want uh, uh, some American corporation coming in or something like that uh, and did something about it, they could sue the federal government. And they have. There have been a number of suits for billions of dollars. Sure. We tried to pass a law preventing certain gas additives oh. that we found were carcinogenic. And a corporation that made it in the United States sued the federal government. Not only did they sue them and made them rescind the law, they made them apologize. Oh. Where is the national sovereignty? Absolutely. That's, you put your finger right on, the, right on the problem. Now, we're going to make it worse. The Canadians sort of led the way with the uh, free trade agreement with the U.S. and then with NAFTA. <clears throat> We're going to make it worse because we've just signed an agreement with the European Union and it has to be ratified both here by our parliament. Actually, I'm, I'm not sure the parliament has the power to pass it, but this is what they're going to try to do is to get parliament to ratify it and then get the U European Union uh, uh, countries to ratify it. And if that is ratified, it is, in my opinion, an act of high treason in the literal sense of the words. If you look at the dictionary, selling your country out, for example, in both Oxford and Webster, it's the same thing. High treason because they put us in a position where if we go back to something similar to the system that we had between 1939 and 74, in order to employ half at least of the million unemployed young Canadians, and to start building rapid transit systems that we need so desperately and uh, doing all of the other things that have been put off or put back or canceled because of the austerity programs. If we started doing that, then the European banks could sue us for hundreds of billions of dollars. So consequently, in effect, they're tying us up. They're tying our hands behind our back. We'll never be able to solve the problem. And... Well, it's game over. If this agreement is signed, as you're saying. The, the agreement is signed, yeah. but it has to, uh, the government's going to have it ratified by... It's not that you're in opposition to free trade or fair trade. You just, because it's one of these big omnibus-type uh, agreements, one of the things that would be uh, sort of homogenized 
or harmonized rather, harmonized would be banking systems and we wouldn't be able to, to go back to the Bank of Canada as, exactly a, as a lender. Exactly, all of those things, but we were taken to the cleaners because they called them free trade agreements. They have very little to do with trade. I'm still paying duty when I cross the border. Where's free trade for me? Yeah, very little to do with trade. It was all about giving international corporations the power to run the world. So instead of us saying uh, we're going to make a decision regarding uh, uh, whether we're going to let foreign companies uh, bid on our, on our works or not, uh, they say, oh, well, you can't make that decision. Uh, that decision is made internationally. And besides, you can't appeal to Canadian courts. They have tribunals, international tribunals, that are under the control of what I call the cabal, uh, which includes the the money mafia at the top. They are the ones that set the rules for the world. And our politicians are giving away the power to make those decisions. And worse, with the present agreement and the one that proposed for the uh, Pacific uh, Trade Agreement, uh, the power to ever do anything about it. So this is our last chance, is what you're saying. It's last chance. Now, a minute ago, you just said that you didn't think that our parliament had the power, quote-unquote, to sign this. Is it constitutionally, is that, not, is that the case? That's what I was talking about, uh-huh. yes. Under the Constitution in Canada, the federal government has the exclusive right over money and banking. Never been challenged. It's in the Constitution. It's absolute. We own the patent to create money. We the people. Right. We own the patent. Banks have no, they're licensees. They have no rights. All they have is privileges that Parliament has granted them. We could take them away tomorrow, or we can tighten them or change them. We can do anything if we want to do it. But we're not. In effect, we're going to say, we don't care about the Constitution. Federal Parliament doesn't have the right to unilaterally change the Constitution in that respect. It is prohibited. But they're trying to do it anyway. Well, to quote Robin Williams, it appears our uh, Constitution is written on an etch-a-sketch. It doesn't seem to, to matter anymore, does it? I mean, all the rules of... We, don't, we no longer have the rule of law. The radicals have taken over. They have, they have run away with the law, and they are the law, instead of us being run by the rules of our own laws. It's not just Canada, though. I mean, it's uh, international. It's yeah. international. Every every country has a, a sort of a, a central bank that's tied into the IMF in the system. And if they try to bucket, if they try to bring in their own monetary policy, like a Saddam Hussein or a Gaddafi, out they go. Under the you know, it's oh, Al Qaeda. We've discovered Al Qaeda. It well, has sure. nothing to do with Al Qaeda. It's the central banking system. Well, well, sure. And of course, we're like I said, we were number one with the free trade agreement with the U.S. and then NAFTA. Now we're number one with the Canada-EU, European trade agreement. Then the Americans are going to follow along. They're next. So that's the way the system works. And the the big boys, the cabal running the world, or running the Western world, a lot of it anyway, are, are getting us to lead the way. Then the Americans will follow pretty soon. They have all of the power, all tied up, and the... International corporations, which are subservient to the international banks, will in effect be running the world even more than they are now, or I should say with more confidence because they have taken away from us the right 
to do anything about it. The Honorable Paul Hellyer in the book is The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis. Victor, this sounds, I don't know, how do you help, how do you stop from despairing? It seems like they have everything locked down. Well, the, the, the sense that I get is that it's sort of a matrix kind of a situation. We are all going about our, our business day to day. You know, we go to work, we put bread on our table, and, and everything looks on the surface to be okay to the average citizen who are tempted to pay their mortgage and pay their credit card debts and all of that. And nothing really seems to change. But below the surface, as, as, as Paul is mentioning, there's this maelstrom of activity of control among these cabals that are um, unilaterally making decisions and wiping out constitutions one by one throughout the globe. And if, if, if that's not wrong, if that's not immoral, I don't know what is. And I guess my question to Paul or, or even to any of the ministers of finance out there, I mean, what do you tell these men who are sitting up in Ottawa and in Washington that that's the tail wagging the dog now? You can't wake the dead. I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you say to these people? Indeed, Paul. Uh, Paul what do you say to? I mean, if you were to sit down with uh, the, the finance minister right now. I mean, I know you had a conversation with, with uh, the, the Pierre Trudeau, uh, I guess after he left office. Right. Did he have an inkling of what was going on, and what did he make of it? Well, I finally convinced him, after three or four sessions, that I was right. But it took quite a, a long while, and unfortunately, it wasn't until after he had ceased to be prime minister. <laughs> if I had been able to persuade him while he was prime minister, then something might have happened. But they, they will not uh, take the time to study and listen and learn because you're talking you may talking about a few hours to learn enough about the money system to know that it's rotten and we have a thoroughly rotten international banking and uh, and monetary system and it, i i sort of describe it in the book and uh, talk about it this way that let just for example a, a loan to a student $50,000 the banks can lend a student $50,000 on the basis of $2,500 capital. So they invest $2,500 in what I call blood, sweat, and tears money. In other words, something right. they've done something to earn. Then they can lend to the student 20 times that. That's fractional reserve banking. Absolutely. And the student has to pay back 100% the $50,000 in blood, sweat, and tear money. They have to work half their life to get to pay off their debt, plus interest. Right. Now, that is a loaded gun, if I've ever seen that. That's grand larceny. That's just absolute grand larceny. It's alchemy. We've given them permission to, to create money from nothing and make untold trillions. We, we are enslaved. So how, how, do they, how do they actually justify that, Paul? How do they actually sit down and say, well, this is the way the system works, and here's why it works well, that way? They don't justify it. They just count on the fact that we don't understand it. Well, but they also are, I mean, I have heard uh, skeptics uh, or, you know, uh, proponents of the current system say, if we were to go back to that old system and, 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 and have the ability to, to, to uh, borrow money from the, the Bank of Canada at very low interest, it would be inflationary. It would cause rampant inflation. Well, you know, that's just, um, choose my words uh, uh, carefully, <laughs> not true. <laughs> That's about as careful that wasn't as you the first can get. word that came, up, came to my mind. <laughs> Horse hockey. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Some, some very bad word. Um, not true. As a matter of fact, the present system 
is the one that's inflationary. Now, you know, I know that there have been cases in the world where you get a, a despot, they get their hands on the printing presses and they print too much. But you have to assume that there's a little common sense around. And one of the differences between myself and most monetary reformers is that I'm not proposing that governments create 100% of the money, which they have the right to do. Right. I'm proposing that they print 34% of the money. Why 34? That's a very precise number. Yeah. It's because that would reduce the fraction of under the uh, fractional reserve banking from 20 to 1 to 2 to 1, which it was at the time that the Bank of England was first uh, uh, chartered. And it would still allow the banks enough credit that they could create a little money to finance new businesses and do other things. But they would be more like a public utility than they are now. Right. And, but, but, but public institutions, governments, would borrow from the Bank of Canada. That actually, the Bank of Canada would create the money directly for the government. Right. Uh, and what I propose in the, uh, in the book is uh, something I proposed to the government of Canada for the last two or three years, that uh, they uh, just uh, have the uh, change the law one tiny little bit. They could do it all in two weeks to have the Bank of Canada accept uh, common shares, non-transferable, non uh, uh you know, not subject to cancellation. Right. Let's, let's pick up on that point. Excuse me. We'll pick up on that point on the other side. And then we need to find out what, pray tell, does all this have to do with exotic energy, zero-point energy. Right. Back with more of my conversation with the Honorable Paul Hellyer, Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network. The Money Mafia, a world in crisis, indeed. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. We are talking about uh, the, the present money system uh, and how it is uh, used to enslave people the world over. And this is kind of ironic. We think of China as being, uh, in many ways it is, it's, it's tyrannical, it's despotic, human rights abuses and so forth. But my understanding is they have sort of the equivalent of a bank over there, the People's Bank of China, is the primary lender to the various public institutions, and that's how they fund their projects. And that's the reason they have a 7% growth, and we have uh, one and a half. Or and perhaps part of the reason they're being demonized. Yeah. Let's talk about ours. Okay. We should lead the way in changing the system. And you'd, all you have to do is take a certificate, a piece of paper, and give it to the Bank of Canada, say for $10 billion amounts. Right. And I've been suggesting $150 billion a year for seven years while you reduce the leverage of the banks, of the international banks, all the banks. And uh, and then you hand it to the Bank of Canada's collateral, and they just write a check and put it in the government's accounts. And in Canada, it would be $75 billion a year for, for se- about seven years. Ontario's share would be $38 billion and that would be enough to solve all of the problems everybody has been uh, worried about for a long while and start getting us out of debt. Paying back the international lenders and, and so if forth. we did this internationally, we could not only help poor countries and we could finance the rapid transfer from an oil economy to a clean energy economy, which we should talk about before we... That's up next, here. yes. Uh, because we would have the liquid assets, liquid money to do it. And uh, and still pay down the debt 
existing debt by 25 to 33 percent uh, in the course of the seven years. Well, this didn't happen by accident. The people that engineered this, they knew what they were doing. Exactly. They knew. So is this same cabal then responsible uh, for you know, suppressing disruptive technologies, uh, you know, other things. Imagine if we had power sources where, you know, we would all be, you know, independent. We could not only heat our houses and run factories. I mean, how empowering would that be if we each had our own individual power sources? Are they also responsible for the suppression of these disruptive technologies? To the best of my knowledge, they have the technology and they're sitting on it. And what is that technology? It's uh, called zero-point energy. And you can take a little box about uh, two or three feet square, and it's enough to power your, your car, your tractor, your airplane, your home, anything that you have to power. And in the book, I recommend that instead of taking a 30 or 40 or 50 year timeline to change over to different kinds of energy and see our planet go up in flames, that we set a target of seven years and make the target to change the power system in every car, truck, tractor, ship, and home in the whole world and to make the technology available without royalties and then get everybody involved and it would provide billions of jobs. We've got a break coming up here, but just very quickly, we'll start the discussion now, continue it on later. What makes you so convinced that zero-point energy is real and, and these this cabal has it in their grasp. Because there have been so many people who have developed it, including some of the extraterrestrials. There have been so many cases of all of a sudden their labs being destroyed or their blueprints disappearing or the people themselves disappearing that it is, in my opinion, beyond contest that the technology is there and that some of the most powerful people in the world are just hanging on to it for their own uses and for their own plans, and they're willing to see the world go up in flames and not give a darn about it. Did your publishers, or does anyone ever around you say, listen, Paul, what you're saying about the money system makes sense, and we can we can maybe convince some people, but as soon as you bring in the ET issue, you're going to lose the room and the whole message gets, you know, the baby with the bathwater and so forth. Did this you was, have to fight that? This was the fear. As a matter of fact, uh, that's the reason there are only two out of 14 chapters that, uh, that touched the subject because um, I had sort of weaved it through the, the story a little more in the original manuscript and the publisher had the good common sense to say uh, you've got some important things to say here so let's get them into the important things before you started introducing them to what I call the broader reality uh, because they just some people are not ready for it they're skeptical but in the book I I suggest what they have to do to be convinced and to look at the, uh, at the tremendous amount of, uh, of evidence that exists that's in the public realm. And, uh, and they would be convinced, but it's, it's something like the, the money problem. If you don't take time off and study it, if you don't uh, invest anything in it, you don't know anything about it. All right. We are, um, we're going to head into another break, right, Tim? We're doing that right here? Okay, we come, we'll come back and uh, continue uh, to discuss the money mafia and all that entails, including exotic energy, zero-point energy, the same cabal enslaving humanity through this corrupt, evil uh, money system is also suppressing 
Zero Point Energy. Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network. His questions to the Honorable Paul Hellyer when we return. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back. Uh, a few moments remain with the Honorable Paul Hellyer, and uh, his new book is The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis. Victor Vigiani in studio as well, our dear friend from Zealand News Network. And uh, uh, Victor, jump in. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, uh, let's broach the issue of, the, of this energy, um, uh, I guess, puzzle that, that, and the dilemma that faces the entire planet in terms of global warming and climate change and all of that. It's a given fact, as far as I'm concerned, and a lot of people with in the uh, disclosure community, that the United States government and possibly other um, G7 or G8 countries have in their back pocket uh, access to this technology, the free energy technology. Um, do, do you feel that um, moving towards any kind of public discussion about this um, is, is just as acidic as um, moving towards a public discussion about monetary reform? Or, or, or is it what relationship is, is there there? I think it's difficult for people to grasp these uh, huge issues because they're so used to an oil economy and having an internal combustion engine that if you start talking about a little box that can can take energy from the cosmos uh, and use it to power your house or whatever, that's a big concept. And uh, it it takes quite a while to get used to. But, you know, the, the, the potential is fantastic. We had a bad ice storm in Toronto uh, last year, and, uh, and people were cold. Uh, the power was off and all this sort of thing. If you had one of these boxes in your basement, uh, you wouldn't need uh, power transmission lines, and uh, you wouldn't care whether uh, uh, something, uh, a line went down, because... You'd have your own power source. Why won't they let us have it? What's I mean, we, we're customers. I mean, presumably the cabal wants us useless eaters to buy their products and, and, and so forth. Why don't they give it to us? Why do they want the ship to go down? Aren't they living on the ship? I, th- I think maybe originally some of them thought that it would be too disruptive economically, that it would uh, put too many people out of work. Uh, in my opinion, just the opposite would happen. Uh, but this brings us back to the money issue. You've got to solve the money issue so that member countries have the financial flexibility to finance the transfer or to subsidize the transfer. And once you do that, you can create uh, millions and millions of jobs. And it's it's interesting to me, and and it makes me sad to remember that Canada emerged from World War II as a balanced economy with a lot of manufacturing, as well as our natural resources and so on. And since we signed the free trade agreement, we have been reverting to the kind of of economy which is uh, almost, you know, the one we had before the war, where we were relying on natural resources, the potash and uh, and oil and all of these things, and without them we'd be in trouble. But what we've got to do is to say goodbye, I'm sorry, there's going to be a a changeover. Of course it'll be a big disruption. But we're talking about our house, which is on fire. And uh, having had one and gone through that, you don't say, well, I, we won't bother calling the fire department for a while. We'll see. Uh, maybe it'll go out naturally at, uh, you know, or some dumb thing. Uh, but we're in a crisis situation. 
But any excuse, and of course the other side of it is that the, the oil cartel, which is part of the cabal, uh, is saying, you know, we've got trillions of dollars worth of money tied up in, uh, in fuel, and now we're into the fracking business, and it's very good, and it's, uh, it's diabolical, but we don't really care about that because that's just affecting the water supply, uh, or might. Uh, so they, they, they want to cash in the chips of one first before they go to the other one. Does this cabal, uh, do they have I – mean, I'm trying to figure out in my head why they would uh, be willing to let everything go to hell in a handbasket at the speed of light if they're still living here. I mean, Richard Dolan talks about this separate – Civilization. They have at their disposal this technology, back engineered from from ETs or what have you. Does that mean that they they don't care what happens here because they are a separate civilization? They have the capability of going off planet if they want to. I don't know. Um, it's hard to get into their minds. I know that the technology has been developed, but I just can't understand anybody wanting to destroy the planet or to destroy most of the people living on the planet. And uh, and I, I find that, um, you know, I know the possibility is there, but I just can't get my mind around it. That's the way they're behaving, though, as if, if they have nothing to worry about. Well, well the, I, yeah, but they have an, this intermediate step of the New World Order, where in effect that they would be, uh, they would set up a, a, an autocratic uh, world government, which would be the end of democracy, and that they would, in effect, uh, be the elite uh, bankers and uh, and others that would be running the world. And as uh, David Rockefeller said, uh, that they could uh, do a better job of it. And one of the things I did in my book was to just go through all of the things that are wrong now and say, well, you've been running for the last 50 years. This is a better uh, future that you're talking about um, don't give us a give us a break, you know. Just and exactly, not- Victor. Yeah, in re- in reading the book and, and the way you piece this all together, Paul, it, it seems like to me that this whole matrix of what's going on. Um, it, I had this image in my mind over the years since the First World War and all the reparation and Germany coming back and all of that. That once all of this got into place, that there was a, a, a big room somewhere where all these men gathered on a on a frequent basis, saying, like, "Here's the way the world is going going to unfold for the next thirty or forty years." And I'm just sort of wondering, is there a coalesced effort at where these people meet and to, to design these plans to ensure that they will retain control? Like Here the Bilderberg is, meetings. Yeah, the Bilderberg and, and, and uh, the Trilateral Commission and right. Council of Foreign Relations. These people who have things all in their pocket already, ready to, to put onto the table so that the rest of the plant will follow suit, irrespective of whatever free energy we put in place or the fact that we're not alone in the universe. They have a manner in which they will counter any argument other than their own. Well, you, you've read the book, so you know that I have a chapter on the three sisters, the uh, Bilderbergers and the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, which started the, the whole thing, and uh, the Trilateral Commission, which is the, the new baby on the, on the street. Which incorporated Japan into the, into yeah, the fold, right. right? But they, um, they have so much power, and of course the cabal is, uh, goes uh, beyond that, it's... it's Starts at the, I think, with the banking cartel at the top, and the, the oil cartel, the international uh, corporations, and then, in addition to that, uh, uh, large sections of the intelligence organizations, uh, in at least one country uh, in the United States, and a, a big slice of the uh, military as well. 
So this is a very, very large, powerful organization which has the tight grip and which is, I think, really engineering what's going on in the world and has been for, uh, for well, decades, decades because the Council on Foreign Relations was talking about a new empire uh, back in the 1940s before the last uh, world war was even over. We know what we know what happens to to world leaders that try to buck this system, uh, you know, Kennedy, uh, Lincoln, McKinley, uh, and and later you know they use different methods with with uh, Nixon they used uh, you know Watergate the Washington Post their their methods are getting far more sophisticated. How are we gonna give us an assignment in the five minutes it remains? How we can't do this at the ballot box? You can't, you know, it's like Hong Kong. They give us a slate of pre-approved candidates. Well, you you could do it if you if enough people really join together. Uh, one of the things that I'm recommending, and there's a whole list of suggestions in the book that the uh, that the Congress has to do, that the uh, G20 have to do, and the president has to do. And if they wanted to get rid of uh, the Federal Reserve System, for example, which is absolutely essential, you will never have a just world as long as the Fed lives. And so it should, should go. The Bank for International Settlements for, should go. And there's a list of things there. And I think if enough millions of people decided that we are going to do something, that they could do it. But it would re- you know, in effect, a revolution of the mind and heart. It would mean that the young people of this world and the, and the veterans from all wars and and, uh, and the decent people saying, yeah, we, we will get together, we'll take a risk uh, because the stakes are so very, very high and the future of our planet and the future of our civilization are, uh, are at stake and we'll take a risk and we'll get together and we will say these things must be done. And we will not take no for an answer. Uh, do you uh, do you think Justin Trudeau and the new generation of leadership? Do you think he gets it? I don't think he started to study the, these things yet, and I'm hoping he will. I, I asked somebody to uh, buy a book and send it to him, and that would be a start. All right. Do you think we is there time? I mean, we, do, do we have time? Uh, I don't know, but uh, certainly. Uh, Are we on the air? We're having some mic problems. We're on the air? Okay. If, there if, we are. If we don't do anything, we don't have time. Interestingly enough, in the book, I, make a, uh, I refer to a prediction that was made by the ETs through a couple of uh, young people that uh, established contact with them, that this year, 2014, was the year that we had to start doing something, not accomplish everything that has to be done, but that we had to start doing the things that I've outlined in the book that have to be done if we want to have any chance of, uh, of salvaging our planet and our civilization as we know it at the present time. We needed this thing to go viral. Absolutely. Absolutely. And without the, the social media, it would be hopeless because the, the, the cabal controls uh, all the important papers of the, of the world. Uh, or at least of, of most of them, and the, the ones that count, uh, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, and so on, and the and the television networks, and uh, so uh, a lot of power. But if the social networks, you know how fast they put together the uh, 
the springs in Egypt and uh, elsewhere. Right, right. And that shows what can be done very quickly. Well, I'm told that the, the, the future uh, now is uh, our, our YouTube channels. This is the way YouTube channels now have become the yellow pages. This is the way uh, people search for everything. Uh, so, you know, YouTube channels may be the, the way to get this out to the... To the people that are, uh, you know, forget us old fogies that are listening on, uh, are reading print newspapers. (laughs) We we have to, absolutely have to do something that's new and different and immediate. Because now is the time that uh, action is required. And we've got to do something about the money system now, not ten years from now, not five years. If someone came to you when you were in cabinet in the early 70s and laid this out for you, how would you have responded? I can't. That's a hypothetical question because uh, I was a monetary reformer 65 years ago. So I would have understood that part of it. Right. And just didn't get the chance to do it. Um, as far as the other things that we've been talking about, zero-point energy and so on, I'd, uh, I'd probably have said, well, show me. You know, I'll, I'll give you an afternoon uh, uh, sometime and, uh, and we'll talk about it. Victor, parting words, about 20 seconds? Well, just being pushed to the precipice the way the planet is right now, as Paul's saying, that uh, something immediate has to happen, and drastic times require drastic measures. And uh, like the flip of a coin in an instant, uh, something has to happen very, very quickly for humanity to understand collectively and in collective consciousness that something has to be done immediately about uh, the rectification of this of this whole situation. Because if we don't do it now, as as, he's, as, uh, as Mr. Heller is saying, is that we may have a wasted opportunity to float right by us. And that's the reason that I wrote this book when I did. I had no intention of doing it, but things are so desperate, and the, the, the need is so urgent that I said I've got to get it out. Well, you're to be commended. Uh, you're a courageous, uh, a courageous man. And it's, a gr- it's a great read, too. The Money Mafia, A World in Crisis, the Honorable Paul Hellyer. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Victor, as always, thank you. Terrific to be here. And the website is richardserrett.com, your portal to this radio program. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett and look for our new YouTube channel coming soon where we'll post this video and maybe we can make this go viral. We can do our part. All you Conspiracy Show fans to send this message to uh, people in high places. As always, follow the truth. <laughs>